Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Solidarity Is This. I'm your host, Deepa Ayer. This is a podcast where we explore how to practice solidarity, especially during times of tumult and change. I hope that you will check out previous episodes of Solidarity Is This so you can learn from the tremendous activists, organizers, and thinkers who are doing this work day in and out. You can subscribe to this podcast as well as comment and review over at iTunes or any other platform where you get your podcasts. You can also download the Solidarity Syllabus at www.solidarityis.org. Before we get started, I wanted to let you all know about a new project that is an outgrowth of this podcast. I've been developing something called a Solidarity School with my movement sister, Anna Castro, to take a lot of the lessons and ideas from this podcast and other movement spaces and put them into a training series. The Solidarity School is a free online training series that's geared towards people who are newer to movement spaces. In the series, we'll be exploring movement culture and topics like gender justice, migration, Islamophobia, and more. Applications for the Solidarity School are available at www.solidarityis.org. Apply by March 15th and spread the word. For this month's episode, we're going to unpack another concept that gets a lot of attention these days, racial equity. Now to start with, as you know, equity and equality are often used interchangeably, but they're not the same. I'm sure that many of you have seen that graphic that a lot of trainers use to contrast equity and equality, the one of the three people watching a baseball game. Do you know that one? Two people can't see the game very well, while the person who can see it stands up on a box. The concept of equality would mean that everyone gets a box and does what they can to watch the game. But the concept of equity means that there is a redistribution of boxes, that there is community sharing in order to make sure that the people who can't see well are given the tools and resources they need to enjoy the game just as thoroughly as the others. Equity, if done right, can get us to mutual liberation. What happens when we translate equity into other contexts, especially to the way that government operates? That's what we're exploring today with Nikita Brar, who is the co-founder and executive director of Chicago United for Equity, or Q, which is an organization that supports building leadership and accountability to achieve racial equity. Nikita brings a community-centered approach to working with government, and she has served as a consultant and policy advisor for a range of city and state leadership roles, and currently serves on the local school council at National Teachers Academy. Nikita, I'm so glad that you are on our podcast today. Welcome to Solidarity Is This. Thank you so much for having me. So Nikita, I know that you are in the midst of a day after the elections in Chicago, and you're literally catching up. So how are you feeling about it? We're pretty excited here in Chicago, you know, coming into the office this morning and just seeing all of the messages that we receive from folks who are really excited because we have, you know, two Black women who are running for mayor with stated commitments to racial equity on their platforms. It's nice to have a a choice between two folks who agree that we need to change where our city is headed and we can get into policy discussions on how to get there. I know the folks were voting for, as you said, mayor, but also city treasurer and representatives for various wards in the city, right? So we have 50 wards in Chicago. And so in addition to voting for mayor, um, people were voting last night on 
their city clerk, their city treasurer, as well as their aldermen to make up our city council. So I know that your organization, Chicago United for Equity, really works with a community-centered approach when you talk about and think about racial equity. You all literally provided a racial equity ballot, right, for voters. And I'm curious to know if you can share a little bit about the process of how you develop those racial equity values and statements, and then if you can tell us what some of those look like, the categories that you all identified. So the Vote Equity Project started as a collaboration between organizers and researchers and groups like ours that kind of sit at the intersection of policy and organizing. The way that we built this ballot was really to start with the question of what does it look like to actually build a platform Mm. from scratch and not allow candidates to sort of define where we want to go as a city, but for us to, as a community, define that. What we did was we started with an overarching question and we asked folks to submit their best ideas in response to the question, what would it take to build a Chicago that works for all of us? And we chose to use that question um, and had a lot of debate on which question to ask, but we chose that question because it didn't have language that could be inaccessible to folks. You know, it wasn't quite as nuanced as our definitions of racial equity, but it provided a place where um, more people may feel welcome to sort of engage in the conversation. So we put this out there as a call. We worked with 100 organizing groups that submitted ideas. And then we also just put it out for unorganized people, just everyday folks to like go on the website or to meet us at a forum um, and fill out a paper submission. And we had 262 ideas that were submitted as policy reforms that would make our city work better for all of us. So people actually answered that question by providing ideas that could shift the role of government and the services of government. And can you share a little bit about some of the ideas that stood out for you? Well, you know, once we got to 262 ideas, we realized we had to do some sort of prioritization among that and and also break them down and say, okay, which of these are for housing and what's for education and, you know, really being able to delve into specific policy topics. So these organizers held what we call vote equity parties where they would bring their neighbors together and we'd look at these ideas mm-hmm. and they were paired against, you know, two at a time. So you'd weigh which one do you feel is more important and people would then sort of preference vote and do that over and over again. And how early did you start this process? I mean, you knew you wanted this out, obviously, you know, to get candidates' responses, right, uh, before this election. So how long did this entire process take? So we launched the sort of call for ideas in November, and our election was February 26th. So in November, we had that call In December, we were able to put together the ballot, and we didn't want to start voting in December because it was the first time it was ever done, and so we wanted to do a little bit of testing. So we used December, and, you know, people are away for the holidays, all sorts of things. So we used December really just to test the ballot, and then we used all of January to vote, and we had 35 parties that we tracked, but there were many more than that, and then we also had online voting available, and After that window closed at the end of January, we reached out to the candidates and were able to have candidates respond to us fairly quickly. So we were able to get the voter guide out by middle of February. 
that's, that's actually a lot shorter than I had anticipated, given the amount of people you reached um, and pulled together. And then the reason I'm asking all these questions is because I think that this is such a great model that can be replicated in other parts of the country, what you all were able to do. And for folks listening, voteequity.org has the ballot that you came up with and developed, as well as the answers from candidates as well. Share a little bit, Nikita, about the different categories. And also, I'd love to hear a couple of examples of what an equitable practice or policy looks like, say, in, um, you know, the safety and justice category or the housing category, for example. So what I can say is that, you know, the categories were really difficult to come up with. And when we when we voted, we didn't vote by category. So you might have an education idea next to a housing idea and you have to choose. And what people told us was that they were really uncomfortable with that practice, right? Because there were a lot of really great ideas. And we wrestled with that. And as organizers, you know, we don't want people to choose. We want to build a very ambitious vision of the future. Mm-hmm. But what we also realized is that if we didn't have any sort of prioritization process happen, what we were doing was allowing whoever became an elected official to make those priorities themselves and to set that without community input. And so that's kind of how we framed that out for folks when they were sort of challenged by the the context of choicing. In terms of like what the the vision was, so I think what's really phenomenal was what came out as sort of the leading ideas overall. So because we were able to just say like overarchingly, you know, what were the leading ideas, we saw of the top 30 voted ideas, 13 were in education. So it just really gave us a lot of ground to stand on to say like, the next mayor and the next council are going to have to take more proactive steps in education, where in Chicago, it's been a mayorally appointed school board. You know, it's really saying, okay, so not only will the mayor be held accountable to this, but as city council, you cannot abdicate your responsibility to being caretakers of our educational system. I also noticed, for example, in the safety and justice category, there's like a divest, invest statement of equity related to the policing budget. And I know that that's a big issue in different parts of the country, including Chicago, and also this idea of community benefits agreements for large-scale developments so that affordable housing is still preserved. So can you share a little bit about why those kinds of priorities were important. And I'm also curious to know the types of people that you all were connecting with. Were they immigrant communities, people of color? Can you kind of describe the people that also contributed to this platform? Initially, the ideas were submitted by both organizing groups and by individuals. And whereas we didn't have as much information about the individuals that submitted ideas, we had a ton of information about the organizing groups. So we did have, you know, a hundred organizing groups in Chicago, really spanning pretty much every uh, racial, economic, geographic, issue-based organizing circle that you can imagine. And that was a reason why we were really intentional about building this project with Grassroots Collaborative, which is a convener of organizing groups in Chicago. And so that's really how we were able to have that conversation. And they did a lot of work, really having very deep conversations with those hundred organizing groups to get these ideas. 
And so speaking of that, as you know, this is a podcast on solidarity practice. I'm curious to know, you know, what worked and what didn't, especially if you have such a diverse array of communities at the table who are trying to come up with what racial equity looks like in all of these different arenas, education, housing, uh, justice, and the like. How did those conversations kind of take shape? I'm assuming there were some messy conversations, because there always are. And what lessons did you learn around um, how to build solidarity and how to build sort of a unified analysis around racial equity? So I think the most significant sort of challenge that arises when we talk about taking our ideas out to a public vote is what that will mean for our organizing practice afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, what does it mean if the thing that you've been organizing around isn't voted as a top concern for our city? Does that mean you stop organizing? And so the most significant conversations to me were really about how do we build this process, not to say that these are the right priorities, but to say that these are the ones that are most of concern in this moment in Chicago. Because what we know is that organizing is about taking something that hasn't gotten traction yet and building support for it um, and to, to socialize things that feel so far away from our reality, mm-hmm. but making them feel attainable. So you notice that uh, diverting funds from the police budget was on safety and justice and actually rose to one of the top five ideas. And what's interesting about that is that there's actually multiple iterations of how that was phrased in the ballot, but that particular one received much more support because it said diverting funds from the $4 million a day policing budget and investing them in mental health services, youth jobs, and recreation. And so my sort of reaction to that is the reason that happened is because people saw that particular format of that policy solution as addressing root causes of uh, the violence that we see. Yes. And I want to actually dig a little deeper into that, because I think that when people think of that word equity, it means a lot of different things to people. And when it comes to government and what government can do and the community input that you were seeking, can you share a little bit about how you think that the ballot that you all came up with or the community came up with really is emblematic of equity? So, just as the one organization, because this is a sixth organization collaborative, but just as Q thinks about equity, mm-hmm. we think about it as, you know, a future state where race can't predict our life outcomes. And if you look around in Chicago right now, it's really easy to see how race predicts our outcomes here. You know, that feels like kind of a complex and jargony definition sometimes. But when I go out and talk to folks all over our city, it doesn't matter what part of the city they're at, what their native language is, or, you know, like their sort of familiarity with these terms. As soon as you start to say, like, do you see race predicting what we get here in Chicago? And they're like, yeah, I see that everywhere. Mm -hmm. We started these conversations before we voted on anything. We actually started by having conversations with communities about what does that look like for you? Where do you see those disparities, right? And where do you feel it the most? And so. I think that that really resulted in some pretty pretty um, astounding results. So the top-rated issue was fully funding neighborhood public schools to have a librarian, nurse, and social workers and counselors. But what's really interesting to me is what number two was, which is to adopt a more equitable school funding formula that better accounts for differences in schools and neighborhoods' needs and resources. So 
having one of those things without the other isn't as visionary as coupling them, right? Like one is really saying like, this is what we need. And then the second is saying, this is how we get there. And I think that part of the practice of building solidarity is to both work on painting a vision that is inclusive, but also then saying like, this is why we need to redistribute the resources we have. Because if we agree that that's the vision, the way to get there is the structure. Right. And as you said, kind of tackling the root causes is part and parcel of building a vision for equity in any context. And that was something I really had to learn through this process is how to balance kind of these like visionary statements Mm -hmm. with the like technocratic fixes that need to be put in place for that to be achieved. Right, right. And so tell us a little bit about what the next steps are for your work. Um, How will you kind of track accountability, you know, in terms of elected officials and their follow through? And what role will the community play in that effort? So we're working on that right now. And actually, given that we are looking at runoff races in Chicago, if you don't hit over 50%, you go into a runoff race. And because we had historically a high number of candidates, uh, 15 candidates running for mayor, we did not have any candidate garner more than 50% of the vote. And that was actually true not only in the mayoral but also true in the treasurer's race. And I think about 15, we're doing the numbers right now, but I think about 15 wards as well. So we're actually going to use this in the runoff and dig deeper into what does equity mean to these candidates now that it's a smaller pool. And what we really are hoping to do is not just build a, like, this is the vision, but oftentimes there are transition teams that are hired to build the strategic plan of sort of how the candidate will be as an elected official. We really want to make that process open to everyday people. And we're working with really wonderful groups in Chicago that are committed to transparency, like City Bureau, which is um, a journalism lab that really focuses on bringing community into the process. One of their programs is called Documenters. Mm -hmm. Documenters pays people in the city to go and attend public meetings and just post those notes and sort of what happened in those meetings. And it's also a searchable database that says, type in your issue. You can see when the next public meetings related to that issue are. And so what we're trying to do is really figure out right now, like, how do we integrate what we learned through this project on what people care about into the sort of existing resources and platforms that are out there that can augment public accountability? I really do think that your work can be replicated in other places. So I'm hoping that people who are listening to this podcast in other cities around the country, you know, as we think ahead to even the national election, what does it mean to build a racial equity platform and actually have candidates not just speak out on race? Because I think that we they've been pushed now that everyone has to at least acknowledge, you know, racism in this country. Um, But as you said, what are some of the visionary solutions that they're going to adopt and support? I think that this is the work that we need to be doing around the country and at the national level. So I'm curious to know if you can share whether it's a website or any other information where people can go to to learn more about how you all did it in Chicago. So the website is voteequity.org. You know, you can see a lot about like the process on the survey results page. And uh, we actually posted under the survey results page, there's a section on methodology and you can read like a full report from our research partner at the University of Illinois in Chicago. 
you can see what a sample ballot looked like, what that people voted on. We also had a glossary for voters. You can see that. Um, we published like a racial equity 101 guide. There's a ton of information so that we do want people to replicate this. And there's a ton of information there to get you started. Thank you, Nikita. And I'm just really excited that you're doing this work and pulling this together in Chicago. And I really appreciate having you on the podcast. And thank you so much for the work that you all are doing in Chicago. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This is such an honor. And I hope that this inspires others to work on community sourced voter guides and all sorts of exciting things in the future. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Solidarity is This. I hope that you are inspired by the work that Q and Nikita Brar and others are doing in Chicago and will think about replicating it in your own city or at the national level. I appreciate you listening and hope that you will check out www.solidarityis.org and apply to the Solidarity School. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you on the next episode of Solidarity is This. Thank you.